Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, uh, my name is John. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And before we get into the message today and before anyone else gets hurt, I, um, I do want to take a second because uh, I want to mark a pretty significant moment in the life of our church. Many of you know that over the last 21 days, hundreds of people around our church have been fasting and praying together, choosing to, yes, choosing to intentionally live on less in one way or another so that we can make more room for God in our lives and in our church. And today is so significant because today marks the final day of that fast. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Many of you already have Uber Eats scheduled to deliver an entire pizza to your apartment at the stroke of midnight. Um, But in all seriousness, uh, to any of you in this room or to any of you worshiping online, to anyone who engaged in this fast in any way, let me just say, well done. Seriously, this is a spiritually significant moment for you, I hope. In a world that constantly tells us that we always need more, Like, how rare, how beautiful is it to be a part of a community that's willing to take this risk, that's willing to take a step and say yes to less because we actually believe that God is more than enough. That's what this fast has been about. We're already hearing some amazing stories of how different people in our community have been transformed through this experience. And and as I've been reflecting on the end of this fast, I really believe that we are going to see the fruit of this fast in our church for years to come. But I just didn't want us to kind of move on and move forward without marking this moment and saying to you all, well done, Soul City Church. I am so proud to call this place my church. Well done. But as Andrea mentioned, today we are moving forward. Uh, Today we are beginning a short but I believe impactful teaching series called The Christmas Comeback. That's right, people, look out, because Christmas is on a comeback. If you're gathering online, just type that, all caps, in the chat right now, Christmas is on a comeback. Listen, last year, let's be honest, last year was kind of rough for a lot of us, for a lot of different ways. Last year, Christmas in your house might have felt strange, probably felt different, might have felt a little empty, but this year, we are declaring that Christmas It's coming back, and with it, all of the hope is coming back, and all the wonder and all the beauty of the Christmas season as well. I'm really, really excited for this little series that we're doing, and not just because of Christmas, but because who doesn't love a good comeback story, right? I mean, when you think about like the great comeback stories of our time, maybe, maybe you think about the 2016 World Series champion Chicago Cubs, am I right? Yes, we need to get back there to the Mecca. That's what I'm talking about. Or, or maybe, maybe um, comebacks in the music industry. Right now, uh, songs like Abba's Slipping Through My Fingers or I'm Just a Kid by Simple Plan. These old songs, they are being given a new life thanks to TikTok. And they are just stuck in my head constantly. I don't know if that's true for anyone else. Or maybe, maybe you're just old fashioned. And maybe you just can't get over the comeback story of the professional boxer who was a two-time world champion an Olympic gold medalist, but who shortly after retirement found himself nearly bankrupt until he found a new career in influencer marketing and George Foreman reinvented himself and simultaneously changed our lives with the George Foreman grill. Don't call it a comeback, am I right? (laughs) 
I mean, even, even for me personally, I actually experienced a little bit of my own comeback story the last couple days. Um, this, this right here is a photo of me just this last week on Thanksgiving. If you're wondering, yes, I do look like a hot mess, and yes, that is a walker. And that is because the night before Thanksgiving, I was playing basketball, and I threw out my back, which just sounds so old of me to say. But I actually, I have a history of lower back issues, and I threw it out really, really bad this time to the point where I actually couldn't walk for two whole days. But thanks to a lot of rest, a lot of prayer, and a lot of great medication, I stand up here nine days later as a literal walking comeback story. Thank you, thank you. I, I Really, I just tell you that to let you know that if I go down while I'm up here, just let me lay there for a little while. The muscles just need to relax again. It's okay. Uh, but this week, you know, we're not, we're not talking about my back's comeback. We're not talking about sports. We're not even going to talk about George Foreman anymore. This week, as our snowball antics would suggest, we are discussing how joy is on a comeback this Christmas season. And, and you know, as I was thinking about that title this week, it, it sort of got me wondering, is there a less likely candidate for a comeback in our world today than joy? Because I'll be honest, when I look at the world around me, when I look at much of the language and much of the narratives that are being spread about online, and when I even look in my own mind and heart oftentimes, joy feels pretty scarce right now. You no doubt have heard about all of the recent supply chain issues going on. Like all furniture is back ordered like 17 months Right? You can't get a reservation at a restaurant because restaurants are short-staffed. We're being, I saw on the news the other day that if you didn't order all of your Christmas gifts in like April, then you're just out of luck, apparently. But, but I think even with all this seeming scarcity in our world, perhaps the rarest resource of all right now for a lot of people is joy. In fact, here's what I've found to be true, especially about the times that we are living in right now, it's easier to grow more jaded than it is to grow more joyful. Has anyone else found this to be true? That we just live in a culture of cynicism over celebration. There just seems to be so many voices out there right now that are looking to tear down and so few that are really looking to build people up. What I've noticed is over the last two years, as things have gotten really hard in our world for a lot of people, the response of the culture has just been to harden our hearts. And, and so on one side, we have a culture that in many ways just seems to be defined by the difficult realities of our time. But then on the other side, we have the response of the church, which sadly, in many cases, has been to deny the difficult realities of our time. I think in the face of hardship, the temptation for people of faith sometimes isn't necessarily to give up on joy, but rather to embrace a cheap, artificial version of joy. We embrace a version that kind of ignores anything difficult or tragic or hard and just, you know, turns that frown upside down. We completely just divorce ourselves from reality and we muscle up a smile because Christians are supposed to be happy and you pretend that your life is a Hallmark movie. And so to me, sometimes it feels like we only have two choices. We can either go the way of the culture, which seems for the most part to either have no joy or to find joy in the completely wrong and hurtful things, 
Or we can go the way of the church, which means embracing a false or artificial joy. And that's why I think it's so important that each year we return to the Christmas story. Because in this story that we are about to read, this story, it reminds us that joy, it doesn't have to be unreasonable. And it also reminds us that joy doesn't have to be unrealistic. But the Christmas story, it's a reminder that even in the most difficult, even in the darkest and hardest of times, true, deep joy is actually possible. And I believe that it is actually possible for us here today. So, if you would, grab a Bible. It's underneath your seat or the seat in front of you, whichever is easier for you. And turn that Bible to Luke chapter 2, which in the Soul City Bible is on page 832. For those worshiping online, open up a tab, grab your own Bible, and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, which is where we find perhaps the most famous version of the Christmas story. Uh, several of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, they have some version of the story of the birth of Jesus, but for some reason, Luke chapter 2 has become by far the most popular version, both in the church and in wider culture. And so I say that to say that you might be pretty familiar with this text that we are about to read, and that's okay. My hope is that today we can dig underneath the text a little bit in order to discover what real biblical joy actually means. So Luke chapter two, I'm gonna read a large section of it and then we're gonna unpack several pieces. Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So you may or may not know that the majority of the Bible tells the story of the nation of Israel. These were God's chosen and dearly loved people. But just like you and I, Israel had a pretty rough go of it from time to time. And at this point specifically, at the beginning of the New Testament, God's people were living under the occupation of the Roman Empire. Rome had come in and seized their cities, their homes, and was forcing them to live under this oppressive foreign rule. The census that is mentioned in verse 1 is actually an example of this oppression. One of the most difficult forms of Roman cruelty was heavy, heavy taxation. The empire, they were always looking for ways and reasons that they could increase taxes and get more money out of their foreign subjects. And so this census that is talked about, it was mostly for show. 
It was really just a way for Rome to justify an ever-increasing tax burden on God's people and put them in further debt and further bondage to this empire. Now, all of this nerdy stuff to say, at this point in the story, God's people are having a really tough time. They're living under oppressive foreign rule. Their land, their finances are being taken advantage of. At this point in the biblical narrative, God himself has been mostly silent for a really long time. These are dark days. And it is into those dark and difficult days that Jesus is born. And when he is born, what does the angel say to the shepherds? The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Joy for all people. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. In the Christmas story, joy is a response to the reality of Jesus. As we just talked about, in the first century, life was hard for God's people. Maybe similar to you and I, life had been hard for them for a really long time. But according to the word, when Jesus showed up, joy showed up. And not because all of their problems were magically solved. They weren't. But because in Jesus, God stepped into their problems. You see, the joy of the first Christmas is a bit counterintuitive. The joy of the first Christmas didn't come from humanity denying a difficult reality. Joy at the first Christmas came when God stepped into a difficult reality. This is a totally different version of joy than the hallmark Christianese denial of all pain and suffering. In Luke chapter 2, joy is the natural response to Emmanuel. It's the natural response to God with us. It says, when God is with us, joy is in us. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of a more relevant message about joy for our time. Because there are many of us who are walking into this Christmas, much like God's people, facing difficult realities. If you're like me, maybe it's the stress and anxiety that comes with the fact that your current circumstances are not your ideal circumstances. Right now in my life, uh, my wife Erin and I, we are in the middle of an extended move between homes. And at the same time, we are caring for a newborn. At the same time, this is the most busy month of the year, both personally and professionally. And at the same time, I now have the back of a 96-year-old. And, and I was sitting in therapy this week, and I was just pouring out to my therapist about how stressed and how frustrated I was, and why aren't things different, and I just feel so overwhelmed. And, and maybe for you, it is, it's that. It's the busyness of the holiday season. Or, or it's, it's continuing financial struggles that are only highlighted this time of year because you feel all this pressure to buy all this stuff like you have to keep up with everyone else. Or it's continuing health problems for you or for someone in your family. Or I think about so many people in my life who have experienced loss in the last year. People who have lost businesses, had to close down after sticking it out for so long through this pandemic. People who've lost friendships or even family members. And I am not saying that you need to muster up joy instead of grief or sadness. What I'm saying is, if there is any joy in grief or loss, it's in choosing to believe that you're not alone in it. It's in choosing to believe that, that despite what things may look like, God is still Emmanuel. He is with 
you. And maybe the reminder you need this Christmas, you need the reminder that your current reality is not the only reality. As hard as it may be, all that you see, that's not actually all there is. But that the God who stepped into the human story 2,000 years ago, that same God can actually step into your circumstances this Christmas. And when God is with us, it opens up not just the possibility, it actually opens up the promise of joy in our lives. Now, I want to go back to Luke 2, and I want to highlight another perhaps less obvious nuance to joy in the Christmas story. Is that all right with you? I have a lot of time, so I'm going to do it anyway. So this part of the Bible that we are reading, it was originally written nearly two millennia ago in a culture that many of us are largely unfamiliar with. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but part of the struggle with reading the Bible sometimes is because we are not familiar with the culture that it was written in, sometimes we can miss references or allusions that would have been really obvious to the people living in that time. And that's exactly what is happening here in Luke chapter 2, specifically with the language that Luke has the angel use to describe the birth of Jesus. So, so would you humor me as we do like 90 seconds of history? I promise you there's something good on the other side of it. So in ancient times, it was customary for world empires like Rome to send out a birth announcement anytime a new Caesar or ruler was born. This was sort of like a first century press release, you know, to generate buzz and excitement about, you got a new Caesar, yay! Yeah? And, and this, this is exactly what the Romans did. A few decades before the book of Luke takes place, they sent out a birth announcement for the birth of Caesar Augustus, who actually gets a shout out at the beginning of Luke chapter 2. And lucky for us, scholars discovered that very birth announcement centuries later engraved on two stones near the Middle East. And so I want to read an English translation of that birth announcement to you. And I just want you to notice if any of the language or any of the word choice sounds a little bit familiar. Ready? Here it is. It seemed good to the Greeks of Asia, since providence, meaning the divine, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, who is filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind. Here it comes. Sending him as a savior both for us and for our descendants. The birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him. Just in case you forgot, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, a.k.a. the world. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Do you see what's happening here? That was the announcement that all people in the Roman Empire, which God's people are a part of it, all the people in the Roman Empire were given that announcement when Caesar, their ruler, was born. And just a decade or so later, Luke uses the same language to describe the birth of Jesus. It's pretty punk rock, actually. <laughs> because here's what Luke is saying. Luke is saying, hey, guess what? Caesar may have an empire, but Jesus is the true king. Like, who's, like, who was Caesar's birth good news for? It said it at the beginning. It seemed good to the Greeks. 
That's it. Just the Greeks and the Romans. We actually talked earlier about how Caesar's birth, it was bad news for the people of God and all the other foreign subjects of the Roman Empire. But what does Luke say? He says that the birth of Jesus, the birth of this king, it will bring good news that will cause great joy for who? All people, not just the Greeks and the Romans, not even just the people of God, but all people. Again, all this nerdy stuff to say. The Christmas story, as we talked about earlier, in the Christmas story, joy is a response to the reality of Jesus, but also joy is a response to the reign of Jesus. What this means is, at Christmas, we not only celebrate the fact that God came, we celebrate the fact that God is in charge. That Jesus is a good version of Caesar. That Jesus is a generous ruler. That he is actually the wise leader that the world has been waiting for. And again, I didn't make this up. I just can't see how this is not relevant to our time. Because think about all of the things that seem to dominate your life sometimes. Like all the things that you allow, either consciously or unconsciously, to sort of, quote, rule over you. Your job, your demanding boss, your calendar, your phone, your significant other, your desire for a significant other. Maybe it's your net worth, or a desire for a greater net worth, or your obsessive comparison with you and this person or that person, or some habitual struggle with a sin that you just can't let go, and it feels like it has control over you. Listen, we all have plenty of things that kind of feel like, despite our best efforts, they control our lives. Here's my question. Have any of those things ever brought you real joy? I I'm not talking about like, a fleeting moment of happiness or a momentary good fuzzy feeling. I'm talking about true, deep, abiding, everlasting joy and satisfaction. My guess is those things haven't. Do you wanna know why? Because they're not kings. They're Caesars. And our world, just like history, is filled with Caesars. It's filled with things and people that would seek to control our lives. Our world's filled with people who are promising false good news doesn't actually turn out that way. Our world is filled with structures that promise inequitable good news, where it's joy for some, it's joy for the elite, but it's sorrow for everyone else. There are so many Caesars, but according to Luke, there is only one Jesus. There's only one true king, and his reign, it is real good news that will cause great joy for all people because he is the God of all people, especially people whose lives feel like they are weighed down and suffocated by all the other false kings that try and sneak in and control us. And maybe that's the reminder you need this Christmas. Maybe you just need a reminder that Jesus is actually in control over all the things that feel like they control you. That if you would invite him to, Jesus is not only the king, Jesus is your king. And he's not some oppressive leader like maybe you would be used to. He is a good, loving, patient, humble, kind king and leader. And Christmas joy, true joy, I hope you're beginning to see. It's not like a, you got a muscle on a smile because it's the holidays sort of thing. It's not a fleeting feeling of enjoyment based on certain circumstances. It's a response to the reality of Jesus. That joy is in us because in Jesus, God is with us, even in the darkest of times. It's a response to the reign of Jesus. 
that all the Caesars that try to run my life are powerless in the face of the King of Kings. And by the way, this is not an Easter sermon, but I feel like I would be neglectful if I didn't round this out by saying joy is also a response to the resurrection of Jesus. Because here's the thing, when he was killed on that cross and buried in a tomb, Jesus was down, but he was not out. Because three days later, watch this, Zoe. Three days later, Jesus was on a comeback. And with him, hope was on a comeback. And joy was on a comeback. And peace was on a comeback. And the same power that generated that comeback at the resurrection, Paul says that that same power is alive and living in you. And that is the power that was born into the world at the first Christmas. And that same power still wants to give new life and new joy into your life, no matter what it might look like this Christmas. It's actually possible, not because of us, not because of anything this world can give us, but because of what has already been given. You know, I, I had this friend growing up who I'm still very close friends with, and he, I grew up sort of in the dawn of social media, like the beginning of Facebook and all of that stuff, and the beginning of hashtags. And, and my friend, he would always use the hashtag, choose joy. Clearly, I grew up with some pretty nerdy Christians, but... But he, he would like write this Facebook status where he would like vent about something, you know, whether it was something at school or that the McFlurry machine was down at McDonald's again or something. And he would vent, but then towards the end, he would put a positive twist on it and he would finish basically like, oh, well, hashtag choose joy. And to be honest, me and most of my friends, we made ruthless fun of him for it, probably because we were immature, mean kids. But also because at the time, to me, it felt like that kind of denial of reality, put on a happy face, muscle up this false manufactured joy that we talked about. But, but when I think about joy as it appears in the Christmas story, like the kind of joy we've been talking about, a joy that is a response and is rooted in, in the reality and the reign and the resurrection of Jesus, I actually think choosing that joy that sounds totally possible to me. And not only does that sound possible, for me at least, that is necessary. Because my circumstances, they do not always give birth to joy in my life. But according to Luke and the biblical authors, when we choose Jesus, we choose joy. Let me be clear, it's not that when we choose Jesus, we will always feel joyful, or nothing will ever go wrong again or that we always need to be happy. But when we choose Jesus, it means that we are never alone. We are living in the reality of a transforming relationship with Emmanuel, God with us. Choosing Jesus, it also means putting him in control of your life. And that's a very scary thing in the 21st century where it feels like we need to control our lives. Every message we see online tells us you need to be in control. You're the author of your own story. So it's very scary, this idea of someone else. I'm inviting someone else to control my life. It's a little bit easier, though, if that person is the kind, loving, humble Jesus. Choosing Jesus, it means clinging to the possibility and the promise of resurrection that all the dead, all the broken, all the messed up things in your life, in him, they actually can be given new life. And so I think this morning, the question isn't actually, will you choose joy this Christmas? The question this morning is, will you choose Jesus 
and trust that joy is not far behind. Because like we said, we cannot choose to necessarily feel joyful all the time. That's unrealistic. We can't, to a large part, we can't choose our circumstances. We can't choose what this life or this world will throw at us. We can't even choose what things are going to look like when we walk out those doors. But you can choose to follow Jesus. You can choose to respond the way that the shepherds did to the good news in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 15 as we wrap up. It says this, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, what? Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Here's how we choose Jesus. We choose Jesus by drawing near to him. Choose Jesus by drawing near to him this Christmas. And the promise of the scriptures is that when we come back to Jesus, well, that's when joy is really on a comeback in our lives. So right now, I just want to invite you to stand because we're about to sing a song that is all about, it's all about responding by coming near to Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that during this time, that's exactly what you would do. Regardless of what your circumstances coming in here might look like, regardless of what your current ideas or thoughts of Jesus might look like, would you just take a step of faith and allow these words that we're going to sing, allow these to be your prayer, allow these to be a call for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are not a God who calls us to things that are unrealistic. Joy for some of us right now, it feels like to express any joy would just be so false. God, I pray for those who are feeling particularly unjoyful in here this morning. I pray that they would be captured by this vision of a joy that is not based on momentary, albeit difficult feelings, a joy that is not based on good circumstances or a lack of good circumstances, but a joy that is based on a reality that is far more real than we could ever even imagine. God, I pray that we would receive your joy. Later on in your word, the apostle Paul describes joy as a fruit of the spirit. And so right now I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fall on every heart in this room, every heart that is worshiping online. Would you fall? Would you plant seeds for new types of joy in people's lives? We cling to the possibility of joy, Emmanuel, and we cling to the promise of joy in you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>